Welcome back to Cover Stories B-Side. Today we have the return of Sean Menard. How's it going? It's going good, man. And Some people call me Sean Mack, Return of the Mac, you know? Sean Mack, Sean DeLuise, a.k.a. Sean Zarelli. My girlfriend Sean shouldn't get mad about me reusing that because it's just too good. I'm about it. <laughs> um, we brought you on today because this is a special episode. We are going to be talking about one of the best covers of all time. Um, Alien Ant Farms version of Smooth Criminal, originally by Michael Jackson. Um, jumping right into it, what do you think about the song? Do you, what's your relationship with either of these songs? Mm. I probably first heard it whenever the video came on TRL. Yeah. <laughs> and that was my first time hearing the song. I had never heard the Michael Jackson version before. And it's, you know, certified banger. We all know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because um, I was a fan of theirs. I don't want to like sound like super, you know, hipster or whatever, but like movies was their first single and I really liked it. And then this song came out and the same way I had never heard the original, the Michael Jackson version. And I think my dad, we were watching TV with my dad and he was like, Oh, that's a Michael Jackson song. And then we watched the video. I'm like, Oh, like that's why they're doing Michael Jackson. And uh, yeah, it blew my mind that like, cause I, at that point in time, I was like 12 or 13. So I felt like, Oh, I'm not into Michael Jackson. Like I'm not into that pop bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I like, no, no, I am. I just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I like, I don't know. Growing up, I never really listened to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like, my mom was more of a Prince fan. My dad was all, like, metal and classic rock. Oh, yeah. So, I didn't really have a relationship with Michael Jackson until, like, later in life. Yeah. Um, I think I got into Michael Jackson partly because of this song and also partly because of um, Chris Tucker and Rush Hour 2. Yes. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough is still my favorite Michael Jackson yeah. song. I, I have a distinct memory of being in elementary school. Just like on the playground, <laughs> dancing like that. I didn't even know Michael Jackson. I was just doing my impression of Chris Tucker because I love fucking Rush Hour. I did the spin move, the little kick, saying Chamon, all that. Um, did you ever watch uh, Psych on uh, USA? Yes, I, I, I watched it on Netflix, actually. Okay. It would be like my go-to-sleep TV show oh, for yeah. a while. I, I There's a, an episode, it's like they're making fun of American Idol, kind of, but it's duets. And they do a mashup of Michael Jackson. I can't remember which Michael Jackson song and Tears for Fears. So like that sounds sick. Everybody come on. They would do everybody chum <laughs> Um But yeah, so getting into you know the, the cover itself. Um, the thing that's interesting about it is like you know Alien Farm was really big in the new metal area era. Um, they had already had one album out called Greatest Hits. Their first album was called Greatest Hits. I love it. Second album is called Anthology. Also great. Um, on their first album, they do have a bonus track, which is kind of hinting at Smooth Criminal. Um, and it's just kind of like a rough demo of it. And apparently that got around. And um, they were about to go on tour with Papa Roach, where they were about to play for in front of Papa Roach or something. And the guys that, that produced Papa Roach heard the Smooth Criminal demo and they were like, this is amazing. I think we should sign these guys. And that's kind of how they got signed. Damn, that's it. Yeah. Um, this was definitely like their bread and butter, but they didn't want to be perceived as just a one-hit wonder that did that cover. So when they recorded the album, um, also fun fact, this is one of the first albums recorded with Pro Tools, or first mm. big albums recorded with Pro Tools. This and Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. Um, it's just so weird to think about like Pro Tools is so relevant today and back then it's only 20 years old or so. Yeah. Um, but uh, they recorded it and they didn't want that to be their lead single. So they put out movies, which is the song I had heard from them first. And it's a really great song. I mean, that whole album is really good. And then um, there was a, 
a DJ, I don't remember where, I think it was in New York, I think it might have been like K-Rock or something, who had been playing the Smooth Criminal single, and uh, they've been getting lots of requests for it, so it kind of got big without them trying to get it big, uh, so they decided to shoot a music video for it, and the rest is kind of history from there. That's really cool. It's interesting that they were so aware of that, because honestly, I hadn't heard their other music before or after Smooth Criminal. Oh, yeah. Like, I was the one-hit wonder, like, fan of theirs, I guess. yeah. Uh, but like recently heard the the album and I was like, oh, these guys are actually pretty tight. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting that they're kind of jumbled into this new metal era because they are very unique and they are very different. One thing I was reading about them is all four of them had very different taste in music. Um, they all loved Michael Jackson. That was one common ground. They all loved you know metal music, but the lead singer Dryden Mitchell was kind of into more folky folky stuff. He was like he loved Joni Mitchell. Um, the drummer, I can't remember what he was really, he was into like Latin music. You can kind of hear that in the drums a little bit. You hear like he makes his, his set kind of sound bongo-ish a little bit. Mm. Uh, and then the bassist was really into like Steely Dan and you can hear it. Like he's just, it's a simple core. It was a simple, uh, you know, a simple riff, little simple bass riff from the original, but he just, one, he makes it look cool in the video. And two, you could see him just going up. He's playing a five or six string bass. I noticed in the video too, he was doing like the high harmony. Like I could see that coming from Steely Dan or something. (laughs) Um, So it really comes together really neatly. And the thing about that's interesting about the song is that it's not very different than the original. Yeah. Like the original, I guess the biggest difference is like the main riff is just a bass line. But it like lends itself so well to just yeah. like a chugging like guitar riff, like it's perfect. Yeah, um, and that's one thing that they were talking about. You you see like Limp Bizkit covered Faith, and they made it like this really snotty kind of like we're too cool for this, so we're gonna make fun of this. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted they were fans of Michael Jackson. They wanted to like have fun with it while at the same time like paying homage to him. And um, and apparently he liked it. Apparently they, they sent him the music video and um, he said he loved the song. His only request was that the kid in there that's doing that all the Michael Jackson moves was wearing a mask and he didn't like that he was wearing a mask. So he asked that they reshoot it with him without the mask. They reshot it. And then like a week later, Michael Jackson came back and said, oh, you know what? That's fine. I like the mask. So they kept the mask on. Interesting. Didn't Michael Jackson wear like a surgical yeah. mask i think it, i don't know if he thought that that was going too far with making fun of him mm. that's what that's what the lead singer was saying is that like at one point he didn't like it that he was wearing a mask and at another point he was cool with it so that's interesting yeah there are you can still see the version with him without the mask i think on there there's a different version but i mean that's the only difference is that yeah. he doesn't have a mask is like what's the point um so talking about the original the original is also has like this really epic music video we watched before we started recording yeah it's like nine and a half minutes long and uh, it's part of a like a, a whole like anthology of music videos uh what was it called moonwalker moonwalker yeah and this is kind of like in the middle of it and um it's got this kind of like 1920s gangster feel they were in like zoot suits and shit yeah and tommy guns everything yeah it's it's so weird though to see like you, you see the dance fighting and stuff and I remember the bad music video with Wesley Snipes and I it was weird to see like Michael Jackson pull out a gun and shoot somebody Dude, yeah that was bonkers <laughs> it was and then he shoots him so hard he like goes through a wall dude that part was super cool he did some kind of magic gun yeah. shit <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, it looked like he phased through a portal in the wall, even. And then there was just, like, an outline of his body left yeah. on the wall, which was hilarious. I don't know if that was, like, an attempt to, like, make it cartoony to make it. But that guy, I, I guess he died in the music video because he doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, this is also you. You were telling me about how the chorus "Annie, Are You Okay?" is a, was based off of a CPR dummy. Yeah, a CPR dummy named Recessa Ann, <laughs> which is a terrible name. Should have been Recessa Kate. It's just there for them. Like, yeah, maybe it was too obvious for. But yeah, basically, like people would train on the CPR dummy, give it CPR, and then they were trained to ask it if it's okay. So they'd be like, "Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie?" And then Michael Jackson took that and made it a hit. It's crazy. <laughs> I love that, that that that's kind of when you have a, a sense of pop, like there's a sense of culture and then something references that and then that overtakes the original because you say, Annie, are you okay? And the first thing they're going to think of is either Michael Jackson or Alien Ant Farm. Yeah. No one, I didn't know about the dummy until I read about it today. Yeah, same. It, it's super stupid. But <laughs> I love stupid things, so I'm a fan of it. Maybe it's because they built it around Annie, are you okay? Instead of Kate, are you okay? This doesn't sound as good. But like Katie, Katie, I don't know. <laughs> Katie, are you okay? Man? Yeah, make more sense. But you know, Annie, it's good. It's a good. Good name. <laughs> um, also, in that music video, we you know, everyone talks about like the, the different dance moves that the Michael Jackson has kind of created, and the big one from that one was the anti gravity lean mm-hmm. with him and his dancers. And um, in the video, you can't really see it, but they're using like strings, like wires, and harness. Yeah. yeah, but on when he performs it live they actually rigged they're wearing shoes with like latches mm-hmm. and then there's a nail or like a bolt in, yeah. in the actual stage where they bolt in to lean forward as much as they can yeah which is still impressive like yeah. that would take a lot of core strength i, I would fall over and yeah. then just be stuck on the little nails on the ground yeah <laughs> I think there was one time, I don't know if we're at, like, I don't remember where like, my grandpa might have been doing something, and there was, I don't remember what, but there was, like, shoes that were nailed to, like, the ground. I don't know if it was just whatever. So I tried doing that with the shoes nailed to the ground. Even then, I was a kid. It was really difficult. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine doing that. I would totally just be, like, my feet would come out of the shoes and yeah. everything. Or you'd get a cramp in, like, your ankle or something. Definitely. Just tear my ACL. <laughs> um, so... It's interesting to talk about Bad, the album, because there were seven singles from that album. And this was the sixth single, right? This was the sixth number, sixth top ten single. Oh. It was the seventh one. Oh, so it was the final single? It was the final single, but it was, I guess one of them didn't make top ten. This was, this one made top ten. I think it peaked at seven. But, um, that's nuts. Yeah, super crazy. That's so, so unheard of now. I can't even think, I think the last one I can remember, last album I can remember that had more than like four top singles was... Shania Twain come on over Dang. and that was late 90s yeah there have probably been other ones since then but I, I can't think of any that's mm. like more than half the album right there yeah that's really impressive um, and that's just a, a testament to how big Michael Jackson was in the late 80s um, he I mean Thriller is its own classic entity itself but um, Bad is just kind of where the mania comes from that's where the people who were obsessed with Michael Jackson really became obsessed with Michael Jackson. That's when he became bigger than Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. This is this is probably around a time where he had that Beatles money where he could buy the Beatles songs oh, too. Oh man, I forgot he did that. Because <laughs> um, this is definitely quite a bit after Ebony and I, uh, Ivory with Paul McCartney. And mm-hmm. I remember watching this thing on VH1 where Paul was pissed that Michael Jackson bought the uh, the rights because he wanted to buy the rights obviously i mean those are some of his songs and uh he became even more pissed off when there was a nike commercial using uh 
using Beatles songs to sell Nikes. Man, that's such a G move, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think Paul McCartney was more of a Reebok guy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, he just didn't want the, the commercialism to, to really... I mean, they just recently... Beatles recently just kind of started, you know, making their stuff available and on different media uh, outlets. Um, but yeah, I mean, just Michael Jackson mania was just so nuts. And it lasted well into probably the early 90s. Yeah, easily. Um, I remember watching him perform at the Super Bowl, and that was really the first Super Bowl performance, halftime performance that I remember as a kid. And I remember I was at my grandma's house, and we're watching it, and he like shoots up out of the the, the floor. Have you seen a video of this before? I've seen some video, but never not the whole thing. He like shoots out of the floor, and he's just there, and he's just standing. He's like in this pose for what seems like five minutes and everything is quiet and everyone's just waiting to see what he does. And then finally he like kicks into it. It's just like without beat. It was a really, it was a really cool performance. Man, can you imagine having that kind of gravitas where oh, yeah. you show up at the Super Bowl and stand silently for a few minutes? Like I'd be shit. Even breaks. 30 seconds. Like yeah. Everyone's just anticipating. It felt like five minutes. It might've been like maybe two, but even two minutes sounds yeah, like a long time. For sure. Um, but yeah, other than, than Prince's Super Bowl halftime, that's my most memorable one for me. The first one that I really remember is probably the Janet Jackson one. Oh, really? Yeah. So I missed that part. I th- I did too, honestly. <laughs> Everyone freaked out, but it was in the era like when DVR had like just started. Oh, yeah. So I think even though I was young, my family's still around it. They're like, is her nipple out? Is she wearing a pasty? Because people were like, because it wasn't super HD either yeah, back yeah. then. <laughs> So people weren't sure what they saw. I remember I was watching it at my my house with my parents, and I was also watching it with my friends in their garage. We had just started kind of a little garage band, and we had like a little, like not a clubhouse, but like this little area, and we were watching it there. So I was going back and forth because I had pizza at my parents' house. So I was going, and then it was halftime, and the game was kind of boring up to halftime. After that, it got really good. But I remember, I'm not into Janet Jackson, I'm not into Justin Timberlake, so I ran home, grabbed some pizza, came back, and my friends, we were like in middle school, and they're just like, dude, we just saw Janet Jackson's titty, and I was like, fuck (laughs) you, no you didn't, and he didn't have DVR, so I I went to school, actually I was in high school, I went to school thinking like, oh no, this didn't didn't actually happen, and everyone at school was talking about it, and I had to go on like Yahoo News to to see, (laughs) Um, but I remember... uh, we were in the multimedia class and we were figuring out coding and things like that. And one of uh, my classmates found a picture and as a joke, put it on all the, the, the backgrounds of all the computers in the class. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a good little segue because it's I mean, Janet Jackson's Michael Jackson's sister. Mm-hmm. Everything is related. Everything is a simulation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that, that video is really epic. I love the music video for Alien Empire's version because there's all these little Easter eggs. Actually, you can't really call them Easter eggs because they're very blatant. Yeah. Um, when you saw it for the first time, were you taking like, did you were you conscious of the fact that these are all like Michael Jackson references? Uh, I think I was aware of the light up sidewalk and the anti gravity lean. Um, I'm not sure what other references there are. Like I know there's more, but yeah. I'm still not quite aware of there's what the the chimp bubbles like I did, oh yeah okay michael jackson had a chimp named bubbles and then 
Uh, there's a part in the middle of it where he jumps on the car and, and, and screams. Okay, yes. And that was from a Michael Jackson video. And then uh, this woman's wearing like a, a werewolf mask from th- like from Thriller. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that one. I was wondering why she was wearing a werewolf mask. <laughs> and at the end, this dude with the mohawk turns around. His eyes do the, they, they change color like they, like it does at the end of the Thriller okay, video. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of really cool things about that. And it's funny because, like I said earlier, like they're having fun with it. But they're also like hater fans you know yeah for sure and like i know you've talked about in other episodes like uh covers that you didn't know were covers uh-huh. like you thought they were originals uh with them even though it was the first time i heard it like whenever they went on trl or whatever they talked about it being a michael jackson song like yeah they, they never like pretended it was their own or anything yeah um and that's what's cool about i, I think just their appreciation for music and that's what I think kind of sets them a little bit apart from the rest of, not the rest, but a lot of the other new metal bands from that era. And that, I mean, obviously anybody in a band is going to have multiple influences. They're not just one type of, you know, band or type of genre that they're into. But I felt like they were a little bit more worldly in that way. And that might sound pretentious, but like they, I just got the vibe from them that they were very like, this isn't all we're about. And you can hear that in the rest of their album too. Yeah, for sure. They have that song um, "Attitude," which is kind of like ballady and, and and slower, and it's it's. I remember not being into it as a kid, but as I got older, like it kind of like hit in a different way. Um, I saw them at Warp Tour that year, and they were on like the side stage because this was before Smooth Criminal had come out. So like they were kind of going off of their first single, and then they got booked, and they weren't playing main stage. They're playing one of the side stages and it was packed. Damn, that sounds pretty epic. It was awesome. I, I remember the band I played right before them was called like the Sloppy Meat Eaters or something. Like that's the that's the stage that they were on. Terrible. <laughs> like the Ernie Ball stage. Like it it was even the Ernie Ball stage. It, well, Ernie Ball stage was probably smaller than this one, but um, but yeah, it was packed. And I remember like that was one of the bands I went to Warp Tour for. That was my first Warp Tour uh, in two thousand one, and um they pretty much played anthology all the way through. They didn't do it in order, but they of course saved smooth criminal for last. And, uh, it was just nuts. It was, it was a cool, like it was a cool first show to go to. Yeah. I can imagine. It was really cool. And then I saw them recently, um, Sean and I went to go see them open up for lit. They opened for lit. They opened for lit. Yeah. I imagine, I don't know. I imagine alien ant farm being bigger for some reason. Well, I, I think a lot of it is the fact that they're considered a one-hit wonder, even though movies did pretty well. Is Lit not a one-hit wonder? Well, they have like two and a half hits. Okay, I think I think I remember a couple music videos. Yeah, they had that one with Pamela Anderson. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that song at Miserable. all. Miserable. Okay. But they had three songs that I wanted to hear. And uh, and yeah, Alien Inform was really good. I think the lead singer is the only original band member still in it, but they were good. And I, they looked, it's, 20 years since they, you know, got big almost and they still look great and like they played great and um, there was no hesitation whatsoever. Like, you know, you see bands have been around for a while and you, they need a breather or something. Yeah. No, they had energy the whole time. It was a lot of fun. That's cool. It's good to hear that they still have like passion for it. Yeah. They're not like coasting off their one hit either. Like, that's pretty cool. That's what I think is cool about a lot of the bands from that era is that they're very self-aware if you think about it, like New Metal's run was really like four years. Yeah. I like, also, I, I wonder if they made any money off of Smooth Criminal or if all the rights go to Michael Jackson. I think they did some. I mean, they, they sold albums from it. So I mean, yeah. it's definitely that. But as far as like the use 
I, I, I would think that they split some because, I mean, they, they had a lot of endorsements and things. and Oh, yeah, you were saying it was the, the, the intro song to WWE something? Yeah, there was this reality show in uh, the early 2000s called Tough Enough. And uh, it was from WWE, and basically they had four competitors, and I think four, maybe four or eight. And two of them would go off to become WWE wrestlers. And that was like the theme song. Either it was the theme song or it was just featured heavily in it, which is why there's a wrestling ring in the music, in the music video. video. Yeah. One thing that was cool, a, a cool quote from, I think it was a drummer, was he was talking about like they wanted to pay homage in the music video, but we wanted to do our own kind of backyard thing. So it was like, it was basically if like Gummo by, uh, what's his name, Harmony Korean was making a music video for Michael Jackson. <laughs> And that was the best way to describe it because it's just very like you know it's backyard wrestling looking you yeah know, for even sure. without the wrestling ring all the stuff that's going on yeah it's kind of just like uh it looks like a house party in like yeah. a little neighborhood everyone's just in the yard like a barbecue or something and going wild yeah i kind of missed that genre of music videos like some 41 had a music video like that and you know a lot of like the pop punk bands kind of did that i don't know if they stood out. i feel like i haven't watched a new music video in a long time that's a good point especially in like the rock or punk kind of yeah area um so rolling stone named this uh the sixth best michael jackson song of all time wow which is interesting because i like like you said i i hadn't heard of it until the alien ant farm version of it so, I mean, it, I think now because of that song, it comes off, you know, as one of the top 10 I'm going to mention. Yeah. But I always put like Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, um, Bad, uh, and then uh, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. I mm-hmm. like his I like his 70s stuff when he's like trying to figure out who he is. Yeah. And it's a little like poppier and funkier. Yeah. Although I'm kind of into like his dark stuff too. Like, what, what are some of your favorite Michael Jackson songs? Oh, man. That's tough. I don't PYT is PYT is good. PYT, yeah, the ones you mentioned. I mean, and then going back to them saying it was the the sixth greatest Michael Jackson song. It was his seventh single off of yeah. one album. Yeah. So like <laughs> even he didn't know what he had with it. Probably. Yeah. Um. But yeah, probably the songs you mentioned. PYT. Yeah. Um. I I got really into like like dance like. Oh, it's not techno, but like dance music, like Justice and like uh, Daft Punk in college. And I remember watching the music video for D-A-N-C, Dance by Justice, uh, really late one night. I was with our, uh, our buddy Andy Chevron, and he showed me the music video. Have you seen the music video for it? No. It's nuts. It's so cool. Even for like 2007 technology, this is the, the two guys from Justice walking, they don't ever show their face and they're wearing these, these t-shirts that are like animated and they do all these animations on their t-shirts. Well, it took me like five years to realize that song is an homage to Michael Jackson. And it's so obvious because it's like, they mentioned one, two, three, ABC. They mentioned PYT, D-A-N-C-E, you know, all, all this stuff. And it's just, it's so cool to see that, like that Michael Jackson culture in itself has become like, so so big that you can watch something referencing it obviously and forget that it's referencing it yeah he's like ubiquitous he's yeah. just like ingrained in all of us at this point yeah for sure um so uh you know in in talking about the band itself uh you know alien ant farm um i found this really cool article and i need to find out who wrote it because i want to give great credit but i can't find it <laughs> i forgot to notate it 
Um, but there's this really great, great article about like behind the scenes and like what led them to do it. And that's where I've gotten a lot of this research from. And, um, you know, they were talking to the, the producer that produced their album had produced, uh, in, in the record label he owned energy studios had recorded follow the leader by corn significant other by limp biscuit hybrid theory by uh, Lincoln park and break the cycle by stained. And it's just so weird to see like the, those all, I mean, they all sound very different. They're all very different aspects of quote unquote new metal, but they all came from the same studio. And in some cases, the same producers, um, and and farm doesn't really sound like that. And it's a part of that culture and part of that, Mm -hmm. that timeline. But it's just so interesting that they took what they did with those albums and really let them do their own thing. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And even like me just now, like listening to more Alien Ant Farm, there's aspects of it. I heard some like Incubus, some Glassjaw. Yeah. And those are two bands that kind of like almost dip in the new metal a little bit, yeah. but like are more alternative. So yeah, it's interesting to hear them come from that new metal place, but be like off to the side from all the other bands at the same time. Yeah. And they hit it like right, right at the time. I mean, this was came out in 01. Excuse me. This came out, this album came out in 01. And, um, by like 2003, new metal was done. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, they were still, I mean, Lincoln park adapted, which is why they were able to persist. Yeah. But I remember, what was it that I can't remember the name of the Limp Biscuit album that came out, but they had a cover of the who, Behind Blue Eyes. Mm, yeah. And it was weird. <laughs> I like that cover a lot, oh, yeah? actually. It was just so different from what they were doing, what they had done before. Yeah. And uh, it's just, and you know, it, it's it's kind of cool to see like, you know, these bands try to adapt and some were able to adapt better than others and some just kept their own. I mean, I feel like Slipknot sounds the same way they did 20 years ago, but, and they were going to retain that fandom no matter what. Yeah. Um, I feel Alien Head Farm is kind of a, a, a story that like, they they had their hit and they had a second semi hit, but they're always going to be referred to as a one hit wonder with the cover. And then they kind of got just cast away, which is a real shame because they were su- they are super talented. Yeah. Um, so what are some other bands from that era that you were into either then or now? Or have you come full circle? Have you gotten because I remember I got to a point where um, a lot of that stuff I was embarrassed about and now i'm kind of like you know like i can i can kind of listen to it every yeah. once in a while i i'm one of the people that like rejected the new metal era like i listened to some Limp biscuit but like even lincoln park i only knew all their singles uh-huh. um people that were really into them i was like y'all are lame yeah. <laughs> um i want to say like system of a down oh, is yeah. the most like new metally band that i consistently listen to like their discography other than that i didn't really get into it what, uh, what were you listening to at that point Man, what era was this? This like early, early two thousands. Yeah, this is like right at the cusp of like third wave emo becoming really big. Yeah, I definitely got into that like the Taking Back Sunday, yeah. the Used, My Chemical Romance, all that stuff when it popped up. Before that, I want to say like ninety eight point five, the beat in San Antonio oh, really? had gotten like popular around that time, and like Swisha House, like the Houston rap sound. I was into that a little bit. Eminem, I was a big fan of. Oh, yeah. Just being a, yeah. And then, I don't know, I would watch, like, TRL every day with my sister, so I wasn't, like, a fan of, like, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and stuff, but uh-huh. I heard it so much from my sister and on TV, I know, like, all the singles. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. And then, of course, it's weird, like, TRL would have 
that super pop stuff and then they'd have corn yeah and Lin- lincoln park and it was a weird time yeah it was super <laughs> weird thinking back on it um i think it's interesting that 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 era is is remembered for like the pop and then for the new metal and that like from that the next like the next i guess evolution was just a combination of those two things because third wave emo, emo was definitely like that i mean there were kids who were starting these bands who were influenced by like system of a down or even limp biscuit to an extent and they were making music that was being played on the radio and like the pop stations. And, um, you mentioned like the Houston rap. I, that's one of my biggest regrets as a kid is like missing out on it while it was like there. I mean, it's still, they're still relevant obviously, but it wasn't until I got into college when I went back and like realized UGK was amazing. And like, Oh yeah. I didn't, I wasn't even aware of UGK at that time either. I think Pimp C was in prison around that time too. Mm -hmm. So like, but their, their first few albums had already been out for a while. And, um, you know, everything about the Chopped and Screwed era. And it's so funny because that was going on at that time, kind of underground. And then by the early 2000s, it kind of rose to the top. And it, I don't want to say it took over like for, for new metal, but it definitely became even more relevant after that time. Um, what are some other, so you kind of transitioned into like the third wave. What are, what are some, some bands that you were listening to like in high school? Um, Let's see. I mean, it was still like Fallout Boy, all those same bands. Uh, Alkaline Trio, one of my favorites. Bayside. Uh, I got into some more experimental stuff like Mars Volta. Oh, yeah. Uh, RX Bandits is one of my favorite bands of all time. People think of them as just a ska band, yeah. but their music is like all over the place and they're really good. Um, they're so much more progressive than people give them like credit for. Oh, absolutely. I love, like, I love their. It's not even, I can't even call their stuff ska stuff, even the like the most obvious stuff that would be considered ska because it it kind of transcends that that a little bit. Um, it's interesting because there's there's a lot of jokes about how the ska kids kind of turn into emo kids. Mm-hmm. They're all like theater kids, so they're all over dramatic about things. But it's so interesting that RX Bandits kind of rejected all of that part and just did what they did and whether it was you know, music with trombones and a saxophone or, you know, basically evolving into, what is it, the sounds of animals fighting? Yeah. And that's, another, like, Anthony Green and, like, Circus of Ives, say us, you know, super into that. And then, yeah, the progression from RX Bandits and Anthony Green projects into Sound of Animals fighting, a lot of people wouldn't even realize that they're the same band, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, in high school, I had to do, like, at an English project, we had to do, like, this poetry book, and we asked, because this was, like, the peak of, like, third wave emo, and we asked, a lot of us asked, like, can we use songs, and our teacher agreed that we could use songs, but we had to do 20 different poems, only half of them could be songs, we couldn't use more than 10 songs, and I remember one of them, I didn't even use a song. There was this, in the opening of, uh, in the, in the what's it called? The the booklet that comes with uh, the CD. Why can't I think of what that's called? The liner notes. Um, there was this poem. I don't even know who this guy is, but Terrence Sheenhold. I remember his name. He wrote this poem in, in RX Bandits. It opens up their 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 notes. And it's called Sky, uh, Songs Not Skyscrapers. I don't even remember how it goes or, or what, but I just remember being so like, taken from it that it was it was so cool and i felt like rx bandits really had that effect and it, it could have been like just gibberish but the fact that it was in an rx bandits record you know made me like 
put like this profound nature to it you know yeah for sure yeah you definitely will take your own experience with the band and, and put it on something yeah even, yeah whatever are some of your favorite rx bandit songs all of them all of them yeah um <laughs> anything on and the battle begun um the resignation mandala yeah i, I love them so much like i i've burned through those albums hundreds of times each uh, I, I got really into their first couple ones and I remember when the battle of a gun came out and it was definitely like, it, it basically was their transition into what they are now. Mm-hmm. And I remember I did not like it at first because I wasn't used to it. Yeah. I, I like, honestly, I'd heard some of the songs off of the resignation. Uh, but my friend in high school, Marco Vidari had given me a copy of and the battle begun. He's like, you got to check this out. And so just from there I fell in love. I think resignation for me, that was my favorite because it, it kind of combined both worlds. Mm-hmm. It was like the middle of the Venn diagram for yeah. them. And uh, there are songs on there that are, are are very like of the time. And then when you get to end of the Battle of a Gun, it's just so like, it's not, it's not even trippy. It's just, it, it feels so much more mature. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I definitely wasn't ready for it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more like, I don't know if esoteric is the right word, but like it's less obvious. Yeah. Like lyrically, especially like yeah the resonation will have very clear like political things or it's very clear when they're talking about a girl or drugs yeah on and the battle begun it's just like meshed together so well you, like you kind of like got to look further into it yeah definitely um and that, that was an interesting time too i mean this was like the peak of like the iraq war because that came out in 05 right that sounds right and you know there was all these political albums coming out and as a high school kid I and mean, this is like our introduction to political awareness and, and it's interesting that like it came from, a lot of it came from the music that we listened to. I was really into bright eyes and Conor Oberst mm. has like 10 songs about George W. Bush. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just remember being able to make these connections and, and having this kind of uh, effect on, I mean, who I was then and, and definitely who I've become over the past 20 years. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting. Yeah. I think even there's a compilation called rock against Bush. Yeah. That RX bandits covered a Metallica song for oh, really. Yeah. What song was it? Do you remember? I, I can't remember. Now. They did. Uh, there was this old, um, before punk goes pop or whatever became something that was released 10 times a year. They did punk goes metal and they were on it and they did Holy war by Megadeth. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Oh honestly. man, that song fucking rules. Yeah, their version of it. I'm not even the big Megadeth fan. Um, I like Dave Mustaine era Metallica, um, but uh, I, I just never. Other than Peace Sells, that baseline's fucking sweet. Um, I can't name any other Megadeth songs besides those two. Yeah, me neither. But our expanded version of it is really, really good. Yeah, that's probably what I was thinking of. Just mixing them up in my head. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, it was really cool. I mean, it, that's, that's another band that like, you know, kind of did what they did and you can hear their influences, even though they're playing this type of music, it doesn't sound just like that type of music. Um, so going back to, to kind of like Alien Ant Farm and, and, and Michael Jackson, do you have any, any kind of final thoughts on, on either of the songs? Um, honestly, I don't think it's a hot take. I like the Alien Ant Farm version better. Yeah. It like, it's shorter. It's like more like in your face like the michael jackson one was a little subdued yeah um it's a banger man yeah it's we were talking about this before we started recording i was going i like to go on reddit to see what people say about the the different songs before we record and there was like several posts like 
unpopular opinion or hot take this this song is better and then people would come on and be like oh yeah i agree it was so weird to see that on reddit yeah you know <laughs> of all places i'm used to seeing people list five reasons why they're wrong or whatever and there were some people here and there but there are definitely more people that agreed than disagreed to the point where it, it is a hot take but it's also like a colder hot take yeah i also wonder if it's people within our age group That's where their, their first context of the song is alien ant farm um that might be like lead us to agree more. I'm sure someone that grew up with Michael Jackson would be like, nah, the original is great. But. Well, it's funny because there were some people on there. You could tell they were older because of how they typed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, like I could tell this guy was born in the seventies or sixties or whatever. And there were several people who would say like, I grew up on Michael Jackson. I bought Thriller when it came out and this cover is better. Dang. And uh, it was just, it, it's just one. I think it's cool that, that the fact that they did it non mockingly, yeah. They still had fun with it and they, they were able to pay homage. I think that has a lot to do with it. Definitely. And it gets respect from the people who like Michael Jackson. Yeah, even Michael Jackson giving his blessing. Yeah. Like, that's pretty big. Yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, it, it's, like we said earlier, it's not that different. It's just a little distortion, a little bit little bit more campy, I guess. Yeah, which works for it. Yeah. I think it works for, for most, most post-thriller Michael Jackson songs yeah. because there is an... an I think he got to the point after Bad where he had a blank check. We talk about blank check movies all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember the album that came out after Bad. Um, but I felt like he had the will to do whatever he wanted. This is around the time he had that Super Bowl performance. And, you know, it it didn't backfire because that album still sold, you know, millions. But it definitely, like, Bad might have been his apex I wouldn't even. I don't even know if I consider it his best album. Thriller is probably unanimously his best album, but Bad was definitely like the peak. And then he didn't realize it, but he was kind of on a decline. And like little by little, within ten years, he became. I mean, not to mention he had a lot of other stuff. Mm. Uh, <laughs> a lot of other people have gone over and talked about. Um, but um, I don't want to get too much into that. We've talked about a lot of that stuff this season yeah we all know yeah it's not cool yeah <laughs> um but uh but yeah i i think that you know there there is an aspect that this kind of came at, at the peak of those allegations or like right before those allegations were more common so it it, it may very well be like the last time that michael jackson other than when he died of course so maybe like one of the last times that michael jackson was revered in that sense almost unanimously mm-hmm uh, one other interesting tidbit is the Jackson family actually asked Alien Ant Farm to perform at the memorial for Michael Jackson when he died. And did they? Yeah. That's pretty sad. I had no idea that that happened, but they, they, they had talked about, I was in my research, they, they talked about that. And apparently like Jermaine Jackson was like a big fan of theirs. Nice. So that's really cool. Um, well, um, so yeah, that about wraps it up. Unless you have anything else you want to add. No, I think we got it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I've been wanting to talk about this one for a while, so I'm glad you came on to, to talk about this. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Oh, for sure. What The one thing I do want everyone to get out of is to check out Alien Ant Farm's other stuff because it's so good. It is good. I can vouch. As someone who hadn't heard it until 2019, like, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Sean, for coming on. Well, thank you for having me again. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>